the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be back together. I, I got to tell you, the long weekends, they always, always make me feel uh, terrible because I miss a chance to visit with you all. So thank you for being here. Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. We have a ton happening. What a weekend it was. And uh, please go over to my Twitter feed, at, excuse me, at Eagle Ed Martin, and track down. There's some of the speeches uh, that uh, were given by um, General Flynn over the weekend. Extraordinary speeches. I'll walk through that in a minute. And also, of course, you should uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, and uh, you want to follow uh, everything that's going on, and that's the place to do it. You'll get your daily email even over the Christmas break. You know, don't, there'll be no rest. There'll be no breaking uh, down. We'll be still here uh, providing what you need to know now. Today is a big day, and there's going to be lots of coverage uh, of people saying over and over again, oh, wow, you know, the Electoral College voted, except, except... There are lots of questions now, lots more questions than even 12 hours ago, because there are people who are getting who are getting themselves, excuse me, phone ringing there, people who are getting themselves uh, and they're 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 stating clearly that they object so much to what's happening with the Electoral College. Some folks have actually voted alternative slates. So in Georgia, my friend C.J. Pearson, incredible young man, he is part of a group of electors that voted for uh, Donald Trump. And of course, Georgia uh, has a set of electors that voted for Joe Biden. So there's a dispute. And that is into the the gap into which there will be a a question raised, a question asked, and something uh, will have to be done to resolve it. Now, so I'll get to that. Yeah, I'll get to that now. So here's what you want to be encouraged. Yes, Friday night late, there was the Supreme Court said no to the Texas case. Fine. There's a half a dozen other cases in the Supreme Court. Uh, Sidney Powell's got a couple. Lynn Wood's got one. Rudy's got one. There's a bunch of stuff happening there. The question is, will there be time to adjudicate some of that? Well, we'll see. Remember what I've told you, that the battle the battle for the republic is three fronts one is the law the legal cases in states there's now a wisconsin case came down earlier today that said the law may have been broken actually it did say the law was broken didn't say what the remedy would be which was a dodge by the wisconsin state supreme court there is um, now some evidence that's been presented at the state level in arizona that illegal aliens were voting that's being adjudicated same thing in pennsylvania other places there's lots of questions about the state law how the law was operated what happened happened. Got to get to the bottom of that. That's one of the battle fronts. The other one, of course, is the Constitution. That's these big uh, matters that have to do with the Electoral College, a dispute over the Electoral College. I'll talk about that in a moment. And what's happening? And Mo Brooks, Congressman Brooks from Alabama, a heroic guy, has said already, I've seen enough to know this was a corrupt and broken election. I'm going to challenge this as a matter of the Constitution. The Constitution requires that the U.S. Congress, seating together, seated together in a special joint session, has to accept the results of the Electoral College. When there is a dispute, they have the opportunity to take it up. He's already said he will do that. So Congressman Mo Brooks, good for him. Congratulations. Thank you for being a patriot. Here's the wrinkle. 
He needs a senator to join him. When there is this special joint session, there needs to be one member of the House and one member of the Senate, at least. So today there's rumors that Ted Cruz may come out, Josh Hawley may come out, uh, some of these senators, uh, Senator Johnson perhaps, maybe Senator Rick Scott, maybe Senator Rand Paul, lots of different people that may come out and say, hey, wait, why? Well, they would object because we now have a Michigan uh, judge who has unsealed the a, a, a research uh, document, a research analysis that shows the machines in Michigan are, are, are not reliable and they used to vote the election. And now we have more evidence. It's now become, as I said, it used to be that, oh, well, let me try to prove to you there was uh, uh, um, uh, evidence of, of, of fraud and, and misconduct. Now there's so much fraud and misconduct prove that it wasn't corrupt and broken. And we also have the news that this software company out of Texas, Solar Winds or Solar Tailwinds or Solar something, has been compromised and has had people who hacked into this system and 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 they they likely, we don't know for sure, they likely had access, Solar Winds it's called. Solar Winds is the name of the company. It's a Texas-based uh, software company. They allowed the, basically the hacking of America by all sorts of people, it looks like including China, into every department, every uh, corner of our government. And as sure as you can think of anything, do you think they stopped at the election system? Because guess what? Solar Winds would have had access to Dominion through one of their software contracts. That's what we're hearing. We'll see. We haven't gotten to the bottom of the facts, but certainly it brings up another set of facts that is evidence of misconduct, of fraud, of a terrible election, of things going wrong. So we got a lot going on, which is why, again, three front battles, right? Three, ba- three front battlefront, three front war, three fronts on this battle for America. One is the law. I told you all those fraudulent things. Two is the Constitution. Third one, big one, is the information battle, the propaganda battle. Over the weekend, you've got people saying, oh, why doesn't everybody just move on? You know, CNN saying, oh, just move on. What's the big deal? You know, we, we didn't we didn't cover Hunter Biden's uh, laptop. Now we know he's under investigation by the feds. Oh, yeah, but nothing to see here. Fifty members of the intelligence community signed a letter saying, oh, no, the Hunter laptop, is that? that's Russian disinformation. That has all the markings of Russian disinformation. They're either liars and traitors or they're idiots, but they should be condemned. And the fact that the media didn't do their job and get to the bottom of it is even more damning. So that's what we have right now is the fake news media is telling you, get over it, move on. And at this point, frankly, I think what you have to agree is if the fake news tells you one thing, the chances are that the other thing is actually in charge. You know, I mean, it's true, not in charge. I mean, it's almost the best way to think about it. If the fake news tells you X, you should probably just believe that Y is true, is the one that's true. Do you see what I mean? I mean, it's actually hard to understand how you could do anything else. Because the, the reality... The reality of the situation is the fake news is so unreliable. You should just start. I told someone over the weekend, I got this quote. I think it's a good one. Don't trust and verify. It used to be trust and verify. That was the famous phrase. Trust and verify. Okay, I'll trust you and I'll verify it. Now the thing is don't trust and verify because you cannot believe when they tell you something that it's true. You must disbelieve it first and then verify it. Don't trust and verify. That's what you have to do with the fake news. And that's the third battlefront. That's the third battlefront that uh, is, is, is facing us. So that's where we are. 
And Mo Brooks, Congressman Brooks, has said he's going to step up. He's going to challenge this. I think other senators will. We're going to launch a campaign this week to put some pressure on some senators to join him if they want to be patriots. Uh, we will look forward to it. But the reality right now and what you need to know is the fight is not over. When you watch the massive propaganda, the fake news, just in your head, look at it. Even Fox, even Fox, they're covering the vaccination and the vaccine. They're not covering the fight to save the republic. We were just hacked by China, the communist regime. And we're sitting around saying, oh, well, you know, COVID, the COVID, the COVID, the COVID. Again, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the COVID except to say I'm minimizing the COVID compared to losing the republic. So, all right, let me come make sure I, I, I want to pick this up for you. Over the weekend, we had this awesome day on Saturday. We had hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C. Again, it was like Mardi Gras. It was a Trump rally, Mardi Gras. There was prayerful stuff going on, people marching around the Capitol, the Supreme Court in prayer. But here was the greatest part of it. General Mike Flynn reemerged into the public light. He spoke at the Supreme Court at 10 in the morning. He spoke at noon on the mall, and he spoke at 1.30 at uh, Freedom Plaza. And at, at noon when he spoke, he was on the stage when Donald Trump came by with Marine One and buzzed the, the event. Hundreds of thousands of people heard this man talk about his faith, his family, and the seriousness with which he takes what's happening to this country. It was an extraordinary uh, Saturday and a coming back out. You know, a returning to the uh, public eye. And the great thing about it was a lot of it revolved around his faith and family. General Flynn talking about his faith and his family. Really, really powerful, really exciting, really energizing. I have to say it was uh, special. And so I hope you'll find some of those speeches and talks he did. He was traveling on on, uh, Saturday, General Flynn, with his two sisters, older sisters, one older sister, one younger. I think she's younger. And then his younger brother, Joe, who I know very well. It was really fun to see this family. And I spent a bunch of time with them, and it was just spectacular. It um, It was a privilege. It was a privilege. America has created some great men, great women, great people. And General Flynn is one of them. Extraordinary. So uh, watch for him, by the way. He is totally engaged in this battle. He knows the battle and what we're going through. So, uh, all right, we're going to take a break. we got some great guests today. We will be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Excuse me, Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up. Sign up for the daily email, the wink. All right, be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is uh, Mr. Randy Peterson. He's a senior researcher at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And uh, he himself, most importantly for this conversation, spent over two decades in law enforcement up in Illinois. And uh, in all aspects of that, as I would say, that's long enough to have been a, a, a frontline guy as well as had to do some administration and understand things he's got advanced degrees in, in uh, justice administration crime management and uh, so, uh, so mr peterson thank you for joining us i first i want to ask you if you if you talk about um defund the police to the police not me right i'm not a cop right i'm not i'm law enforcement but you talk to rank and file even if you're a democrat and you're on a police force doesn't it kind of make you crazy in this environment Sure. Uh, You know, when when it first came out, the defund the police uh, commentary was really revolving around punishing the police. You know, that that seemed to be the the motive there. And, you know, a a secondary concept was was probably abolishing the police. I think that that was also a a pretty uh, high on the the list of 
uh, of desires for, for those that were uh, commenting on it. Um, and, and yeah. you know, when you do that, you know, you're, you're, understand that this this incident you know was we can't say that it was just the incident in minneapolis that sparked this whole thing but it really was the spark that started the fire and when you're a police officer in you know fort worth texas or uh you know a small town in indiana and you hear people protesting you and threatening to cut your your pay or your resources um based on something that happened in minneapolis that's just patently unfair from their position Right. And you can understand why they would right. think that, that that's unfair, you know, that uh, the police officers would think that that's unfair. You know, they're, they're being cast into the same light. You know, they didn't all put their neck on George or me on George Floyd's neck, you know, but they're, they're being right. treated as though they each individually did. Yeah, uh, it, it, we were talking with uh, Randy Peterson, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, and uh, and retired uh, after two decades, more than two decades in law enforcement. Um, and Mr. Peterson, uh, this video, I got sent this video, and this is what got me thinking I wanted to talk to you. And, and you've been out publicly speaking on this, but this uh, video, the title of the, of the video is produced by the by the, the, your, your organization, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And it's proficient policing training solutions that unite communities and law enforcement. Here's the thing. I want to start a little differently, I want, but I want you to talk about the video. But when the DA in L.A., the district attorney in L.A. the other day says, we won't arrest people, we won't charge them with resisting arrest, and you're a cop, so now you pull up on somebody, you do a search of the license plate, it says the owner of the car is wanted for a, for a warrant for uh, you know, a felon in possession or a drug, drug uh, uh, a possession, whatever. And you say, okay, I'm going to arrest this guy. And now you know he won't get charged with resisting arrest. It, it's actually insane to, to to think of how you would train a law enforcement officer to handle a situation where you couldn't arrest someone that they could be charged with resisting, right? I mean, it, it, it's almost like they're crippling the ability to even train law enforcement to do their job. Yes, and I think it actually does worse than that. Um, when you decriminalize resisting arrest, you incentivize a criminal to try and get away, right, or to or, or right. to attack the police officer <laughs> right. to, to defeat the arrest. Right. I mean, if, right. if if there's no consequence to trying, they might as well try. So the you know the the number of violent incidents uh, that this can create between the police and and uh, offenders is incredible. You know, one that's one of the deterrents to resisting is that you can be charged with it even if there's no underlying crime you can't arrest any you can't resist an arrest even if you think it's unlawful even if in fact it is unlawful um you know in most situations but if you take that away you know there's no deterrent to 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 fighting with the police and trying to escape Uh, well (laughs) you know why, why wouldn't you at least give it a shot Right, right. And now tell me about this video and the, and the production of this video uh, that, that uh, proficient policing training solutions that unite communities and law enforcement. But maybe start with this. What's different about it? What, what are you saying here that's different? Or are you just trying to explain why what you know works works? Well, what's different is that, you know, in most police academies and, and police departments throughout the country, uh, police officers are given blocks of instruction, um, you know, where particularly in the uh, you know, in the academic sense, that that's just fine. That really doesn't matter that much. But in the physical skills sense, and remember that every incident we're discussing here always involves use of force, right? It's always a, a physical incident that happens. So that's where we should be focusing some of our training on, not just on the physical skills, but on blending those with de-escalation techniques, communication skills, 
all of those things. But when you give police officers, particularly cadets, you know, recruits, um, blocks of instruction, let's say 40 hours, you know, they do eight hour days, five days for one week, and then that's their block of defensive tactics skills. By the end of the academy, they probably don't even remember that. Those are very perishable skills. No other industry um, that teaches physical skills teaches it that way, right? When you think about in high school, you know, if you were a wrestler or a football player, you didn't do one week of training and then not practice again until the big game. I mean, it didn't work that way. You did short intervals of frequent exposure all the way through the season. Police officers don't train that way, and we, we need to get to a point where in the academy, they're training throughout the academy in shorter duration, but higher frequency of exposure skills, and then integrating those skills with all of their other techniques, right? Their constitutional policing uh, theories, their de-escalation techniques, their communication skills, all of these things need to be blended, and they need to be taught repeatedly. You know, if you only have a short block of physical skills instruction that's a perishable skill that goes away most of the time before they even graduate the academy. But if you continue it this way, we believe that you're going to give them skills that will last a much longer time. And then if you implement it in in in-service training in the police department, you give them skills for an entire career. We're talking with uh, Randy Peterson, uh, who's a uh, one of the senior researchers at the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, and his. Uh, we're talking about this video that he's produced uh, that about police training and how to get it sort of focused. Uh, more bro- pulling back again, more broadly, uh, uh, Mr. Peterson. Um, do you? H- how do you change this? You know, we got through this period of time where. Um, Defund the police was popular in the political campaigns. It was fashionable to speak only of incidents. I mean, I'm from Missouri. I'm from uh, not far from Ferguson. You know, we all knew that we're close to that, that most of the uh, coverage of that situation was a lie, uh, that the officer there was not how he was portrayed. The incident was and all sorts of things. Right. But by the time it gets baked in to the culture, people think a certain way. How dangerous right now? Is it to be law enforcement in these big cities? And why, I mean, how are we going to ever retain people to be there? Yeah, and that's a, an unknown question right now. Um, I, I think there's two, there's two kinds of danger, right? Policing is always, you know, by its nature, uh, a dangerous profession. It, you know, it, all, it always has been. Um, you know, they, they face danger uh, generally daily. Um, however, there's another kind of danger, too, and that is the, the danger to their uh, professional uh, careers. Um, you know, it, it's not uh, outside the realm of possibility that police officers are going to be used as political pawns. I think we've already seen that several times. Like you said, the whole narrative in the Ferguson event was a lie, and yet right. uh, the, the officer involved is no longer a police officer there, is he? Right, so right they, exactly. You know, and so that there, there's that danger. So that you know, police officers sign up for the danger that they face in the, the normal um, day-to-day work that they do. They, they sign up for that. They know pretty much uh, well ahead of time what, what those dangers are. This is a new threat, right? The fact that you might lose your livelihood, never be able to be in the profession again based on something that you did correctly. Um, and that, right. that is completely unfair. Is it, uh, but, and then, but let me just put the final uh, point of this. Who's ever going to be, who's, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm from St. Louis for 25 years, but New Jersey, Jersey city, my buddies are half of them are cops in Jersey city and Bayonne and other places. But if you went now to the Academy, 
I, I don't know why you'd bother in a big city. I mean, it's just because you can't at this point, you, you don't have the political will backing up doing the right thing. You're right. And, and, uh, but I am going to give you a, a little bit of optimism on that. Um, the okay, Academy good, that good. I'm doing, do, <laughs> the Academy that I'm doing the research at, uh, that that video was, was based on, um, you know, every uh-huh. Academy class that I instruct, I ask them, you know, why do you want to do this? Well, this, this class started right after all of this happened. And so it was a, a, right. an especially important question, right? Why do you want to do this now? And to a man and woman, they all said, because the profession needs good people and we want to be part of that. And that was, hmm. that was very inspirational uh, to hear. It, it gave me hope about the, the future of our, our law enforcement professionals as well. Yeah, that is. That's good. Well, that's that's great. Well, listen, thank you, Randy Peterson. Uh, thank you for doing it. And thank you for putting uh, this uh, going out and talking about it so uh, frequently. Again, the, the video is called Pro- Proficient Policing Training Solutions that Unite Communities in Law Enforcement. Uh, Randy Peterson, a former uh, law enforcement officer himself and now senior researcher at uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, we'll talk again, Randy. Thanks very much for your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Don't forget, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily emails there, but also get these interviews like this one with uh, Mr. Randy Peterson. You can play them again there. I put them up as a hot link there and also over on social media, at Eagle Ed Martin, on Facebook at Ed Martin Live, and, of course, uh, again, at ProAmericaReport.com. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author. And, um, well, he's written multiple books. And he was once himself an Asian journalist, Asian journalist with the Wall Street Journal out in Asia. And uh, which reminds me, um, Dr. Decker, was Bill, is it Bill McGurn? Was he out in Asia when you were there? Uh, he, he was there before I was. He was back in um, oh. in New York uh, at that point. Okay. Because... I saw he wrote. I saw he wrote a. Yeah, he wrote a column and he referenced to living in in China and as a familiarity. And I hadn't realized that. So, uh, uh, because he was yeah, actually, this is worth digressing for a second. Is uh, that famous uh, uh, businessman, the Hong Kong businessman? Is it Jimmy Lai? Is that how you pronounce his name? He's been in prison, right? Uh, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy's an old friend of mine, and and uh, interestingly, he was he's uh, this billionaire, Hong Kong billionaire, and great supporter of democracy, and uh, uh, one of the largest if not the largest importer of black market Bibles into China. He, smug- he has people smuggle Bibles into China. So, um, But a great hero. He's, a, uh, interestingly, a convert to Catholicism, Bill McGurn, with the Wall Street Journal as his um, godfather. But uh, mm. yeah, he's in prison for the, sec- for the second time now, basically just for supporting democracy. He's funded the pro-democracy movement there, and very brave guy. He has one of the largest yachts, and, you know, Hong Kong has, like, more Rolls Royces than anywhere but England, and right, you have all these billionaire, Chinese billionaires in Hong Kong. Jimmy Lai has one of the yard, largest yachts in Hong Kong Harbor emblazoned across the back of it, and the name of his yacht is Free China. So very brave, very, you know, <laughs> sticks with the, the Communist Party. And uh, um, I was at dinner at his house once years ago, and they just passed this new anti-sedition law in Hong Kong, uh-huh. basically saying that Beijing could just come extradite people from Hong Kong without any due process. And we were at dinner at his house, and he thought they might come and grab him that weekend. So 
you know, wow. it's very, very dangerous in China, very dangerous in China. His second time in prison. And, you know, he told me once, cause he, he only flies commercial and for billionaires, right? Private planes is a lot, a lot more convenient, yeah. a lot more private. But he said he would right. never have a private plane because it would be too easy for China to, to take it down, you know, have some mechanical problem. And he, he didn't think they would do that with a commercial jetliner. So imagine, you know, living that way every day, just wondering if every day is your last just because you support democracy in Hong Kong, right? So, um, Well, I, the thing I wouldn't mind trying is the, the being a billionaire part. You know, we could try that out and see how that part works. You know, that wouldn't be bad. But all right, I, I was still, I was in the middle of an introduction. Dr. Brett M. Decker, of course, he was Wall Street Journal Asia reporter and then editorial page editor at the Washington Times, and now is uh, teaching the youth at uh, Defiance College in Ohio. Well, Dr. Decker, you did have a, an observation via text to me in the last couple of days about Bill Barr, the Attorney General Bill Barr. Now, I should have said in your introduction, Dr. Brett M. Decker also was a keen observer, worked in the uh, Bush administration in various capacities, and a keen observer of the swamp up close and personal for a couple of decades. What's your thoughts right now on Bill Barr? It looks like he's kind of admitted they knew about Hunter Biden's investigation. Uh, he was he, Hunter Biden's under investigation for tax evasion and other things. And while everybody in the world was saying in October and September, nothing to see here, this is Russian disinformation, Bill Barr knew it was true and said nothing. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, m- my thoughts are hard to express on radio with all the limitations <laughs> on vulgarity and everything, right? But, but oh, I mean, yeah. it, it, uh, uh, so I'll try anyway, you know. Um, maybe we should go on five-second uh, delay here. <laughs> delay, but, uh, yeah, the delay but, button. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it just shows you how, how deep the, and mucky the swamp is, right? And it and, and also, like, so, you know, Barr's excuse is he didn't want to interfere in the election. Well, except for what he's doing is covering for the Democratic candidate by not letting right. people know things that are really important to know, like he's taking all this dirty money from shady countries like Russia, Ukraine, and China. And now his dad's going to be right. president. And I think even more dangerous is if you look at all these emails that were released and they talk about, putting 10% away from the big guy. And we know the big guy is Joe Biden. So the, the person who's right about to be a president, you know, president or president elect, uh, his son was taking shady money from dirty communist countries, enemies of America for his dad. Well, and, and he, you know, here's the, so, yeah, so here's the question I have is I think I know, and I don't know if this is true. So you can fact check me or someone listening can fact check me. I think I know that, the standard statement of these people in these positions is within a month or two of the election or three months, we don't reveal anything that might have an impact, but how is it? It's not like they lied. If they came out and said simply Hunter Biden's under investigation, what's the accusation then you're interfered. He's the one under investigation. I mean, if there was misconduct of the prosecutor in, in investigating or something, okay, fine. But and I guess the point is that if you don't have this, the argument from the swamp is, well, if you don't have this protection, everyone will investigate everyone before an election and it'll it'll hurt everyone. I don't know. I mean, it it seems to me, as you point out, saying nothing is akin to covering for one side. So we are different thing if Bill Barr said, well, we got a letter of inquiry from a disinterested citizen said something. I'm not going to reveal that. 
But they had enough that they were investigating uh, the tax thing. And but back to my point: is Bill Barr just a a a a part of the system? Is that what's going on? Bill Barr is not sitting around saying, "How do I help the Democrats?" Is he? Isn't he more likely just I play in this system where they make me abide by rules and norms that always end up, uh, frankly, screwing over the conservatives? Um. Yeah. Well, I I, I think Bill Barr's role, right, is kind of the protector of the establishment. And I think, as we've talked about on your show before, right, it's already kind of a one-party establishment, one-party system in Washington. It's the establishment, and the establishment incorporates most of the Republican and Democratic parties, right? So the establishment doesn't want, the swamp doesn't want anything disrupted. And if you look at Barr, well, why was Barr attorney general and, you know, Comey and Brennan and uh, whatever that that other scumbag Peter whatever struck or struck, whatever right struck yeah none yeah. of those guys were gone after right <clears throat> they were guilty of of um, perjury all kinds of things improper use of of uh, investigative services nothing happened to them under Barr and I think this thing also with Hunter that that's important. Right. This is the only thing that wasn't leaked from the Justice Department during the Trump administration. Every other time yeah, exactly. any Republican <laughs> was getting investigated, you heard about it. If they were going to go send right. in the SWAT team or special forces to break down um, Roger Stone's door, they leaked it to CNN. So it was on TV in the middle of the night. Right. So so this is the only kept secret in and it benefited Biden. So I think it's important looking at that, that one party isn't really a partisan divide. It's just the establishment and everybody, everybody that's outside the establishment. That's the divide in Washington. And Barr protected the establishment side. Well, so down the stretch of the Biden administration, uh, the Obama administration, you had Susan Rice at the center of basically unmasking and targeting Flynn and all that kind of stuff. She was just named uh, she was just named the uh, domestic policy advisor to the president. Um, you know, at, at what point are we uh, if Biden becomes president, if there is an administration, are we heading into a period where they actually go harder and use government more? Look, under under Obama, they did the lowest learner thing. They lied about Benghazi, you know, on the I think that was uh, uh, Susan Rice also on the they went on all the shows and lied about it. Then they unmasked everybody and, and launched this coup. They all said lies over the summer, over the last three and a half years. Fifty members of the intel community said, oh, boy, that Hunter Biden story, that looks like Russian disinformation. To us. They're either liars and traitors or they're idiots. One of the two. And there's no other choice. Are we headed to, but, but now maybe the, are they emboldened? They're going to go and do worse because I, it feels like we're, nobody got held accountable. Why wouldn't they try? One, I don't think it's either or. I think they can be um, idiots and liars and traitors all at the same time. Right. But I think they're going to, I think they're going to go hard left. And if you look at what they've done already, right. We're not allowed to mm-hmm. go to church. We're not allowed to congregate in groups. Right. I mean, we're supposed to have the right to assemble in this country. We don't have it. Right. Free speech right. has been um, nipped, you know, curtailed by big media with the approval of government. So what are they going to And this is when we had the, the Senate and the White House and a majority on the Supreme Court. Right. So what are they going to do now with power? I think they're going to go big time. And if, if you look already, they're, they're licking their chops to go after the Second Amendment, which is the only way, you know, we theoretically have to protect ourselves from all these encroachments on 
the Constitution and you know especially the Bill of Rights. So I think I think. I think they see blood in the water and they're just going to try to mop up what's ever left. I think it's a really dangerous time uh, for the Republic, for sure. Well, I can see why you are you got that uh, safe house in Ohio to get away. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling <laughs> author. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause in a moment after I say thank you to let you say a final word of, uh, of, of farewell. But uh, Dr. Decker is, of course, Defiance College, New York Times bestselling author. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Decker. Yeah, just stock up on canned foods and caffeine. You'll be all right. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I've never been a big fan of political correctness, so let me get straight to the point. Putting women and girls into active combat situations is an absolutely horrible idea. Feminists can try to put as much spin on it as they want to, but the arguments against it are just too strong. Keeping women out of combat isn't some sinister plot to suppress women. It isn't exclusively a result of the traditional role of men being to protect women. History, science, and common sense all show why women in combat is a bad idea. Many women can and do serve honorably in our armed forces, but serving in combat positions is far different from the many other positions out there. Let's use facts to lay out the case against women in combat. First, we've got to talk about the obvious physical differences between men and women. The average man is far stronger than the average woman. That doesn't make women less valuable. It just means that the hormones in their bodies are less likely to produce the size and muscle mass more characteristic of men. Few women are capable of enduring the rigors of combat, which puts incredible pressure on the military brass to lower standards to boost the number of women in their ranks. However, even if a woman can pass the physical exams, she still finds herself at a much greater physical and mental risk than her male counterparts. A 2015 study by the United States Marines concluded that because of women's weaker bone structures and other factors, women are more than twice as likely to be injured on the battlefield. That not only compromises their safety, but that of the rest of their unit, too. Equally tragic is the fact that women are also twice as likely to suffer from the horrors of post-traumatic stress disorder as men are. Obviously, keeping women out of combat isn't about oppression. There are, after all, plenty of roles for women in all branches of the military at which they excel. But even still, it's about recognizing the basic scientific facts of the universe. If we're going to protect all of our men and women in uniform, the best thing we can do is continue to give non-combat roles to our nation's female soldiers. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. You've seen the desperation of women's marches, the disgrace of Planned Parenthood, the rise of savvy young conservative women. Radical feminism is heading down a dead-end road. Voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Do not forget that you can go over to ProAmericaReport.com and listen to all these great interviews we have. Uh, that Randy Peterson, very interesting former cop, uh, I guess I should say law enforcement officer, LEO, that's what everybody uses now. Uh, really interesting man. You should listen to that and read his stuff. So, okay, um, a couple of things. You, see, you know, I, I, this story over the weekend, kind of interesting. And later on this week, we are going to uh, talk with our old friend Mickey Kaus. Mickey Kaus is the uh, uh, the author of The End of Equality, published in 1992, and he's great on Twitter. And he he tweeted again, uh, he tweeted this, and we'll talk about it later in the week, but I want to talk about one part of this. He said, so two Biden tender spots now noted, A, Hunter's shenanigans, and B, Dr. Jill's credentialism. And what he's referring to is over the weekend, there was a story that percolated that got a lot of attention. Uh, and the, uh, by the way, it's at Kaus Mickey on Twitter. And um, Mickey Kaus, uh, excuse me, um, the Wall Street Journal wrote a, had a piece run by a professor Epstein from, I think, Northwestern University, in which he said, it's really obnoxious for um, Jill Biden to go by Dr. Jill Biden when she's a doctorate in education. And, um, it got a bunch of blowback from a coordinated blowback from the Biden campaign. And then Paul Gigo, the editor of the editorial page for the Wall Street Journal, said, um, hey, guys, uh, listen, um, this is what we do. We're an editorial page. We have ideas. This is fair game. Um, you know, the New York Times, no, Washington Post attacked a year or two ago, Dr. Seb Gorka, Sebastian Gorka, who calls himself Dr. Gorka. He's a PhD in, I think, history or philosophy or something. And so, but here's the funny thing about Mickey Kaus's point. They went crazy in the Biden campaign. And Jill Biden, they, they defended her like it was, uh, you know, the battle for all battles. And his point here is, uh, and obviously family is always a touchstone, right? I think if you went after somebody's family, that's pretty brutal and I don't recommend it. On the other hand, there is something really strange about the world we're living in where um, a doctorate in education, you know, and I remember I'm married to a, a medical doctor. And she's always thought it's strange that people that are, you know, doctors have a doctorate in something else, try to call them if they call themselves doctor. And uh, Ann Coulter put a, a point on this over the weekend, because do you know, every lawyer, I'm a lawyer too, gets a JD, a Juris Doctor, a Doctorate of Law. That's what a JD is. That's what a lawyer is. That's what they require you to do. In fact, uh, to get to, to take the bar, you're supposed to take, you're supposed to have a law degree. And, you know, Kim Kardashian is supposedly studying. Her father was a very prominent lawyer and she's studying, as I understand it, to be a, um, to be a lawyer and not taking the bar. California allows that and a sort of a, a leftover, uh, in the past used to be that the way you were a lawyer was you worked for lawyers and you were trained as an apprentice and uh, way back. And then over time they did develop these specialized schools. So, Anyway, every every lawyer, and there are tens of thousands of lawyers, can be called doctor if they wanted. Nobody does that. So Mrs. Biden, Mrs. Vi Mrs. Vice President, has a doctorate in education. And Joe Biden was quoted as saying his wife was sick. She, he said, my wife was so sick of the mail coming to our house for Senator and Mrs. Biden. She wanted it to say uh, Dr. and Senator Biden. She thought that was important. So here's the thing, what Mickey Kaus said. And I said this earlier to someone. Uh, I don't think it's fun at all to be in public life these days because the the ease with which every part of your life is taken to pieces and you've seen it with President Trump and his family. It's just brutal. 
But it is interesting to find something that's a tender spot for the the Biden uh, campaign and family and uh, vice president's efforts, because they clearly went wild unhappily about uh, the fact that that was uh, brought out there. And we'll see uh, if there's more to come, uh, much more to come. We'll see. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. It's going to be an important couple of days. Keep tracking in. Go to at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, Ed Martin Live on Facebook. You can track me directly. Email me directly, ed at edmartinlive.com, ed at edmartinlive.com. And also, of course, over at ProAmericaReport.com. Check in there and get all the updates you need. With the, get signed up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know. So, all right, everybody, thank you for listening. And we will be back tomorrow. Ed Martin right here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.